0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, no, markets are not perfect. They're just better than the alternatives. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation, and I'm joined today by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. With these IPI Policy Basics Podcasts, we are building an audio library of basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and who need to understand or get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we're going to discuss how markets are not perfect, but they're better than the alternatives. So let's talk about the limits of free markets. We at the Institute for Policy Innovation, like most conservatives or libertarians, We claim to believe in free markets. In fact, we fiercely defend free markets. But that doesn't mean that we think markets are perfect. And this is an important point to touch on because sometimes critics of markets point to various imperfections in markets and see that as an argument against markets.
1: So, Tom, I am familiar with this in the health insurance area because when President Barack Obama, back when he was elected, he said the health insurance market has failed people it doesn't accept people who had pre-existing conditions and that was not actually true because if you go to work for a company that offers health insurance you could have pre you could have a pre-existing condition and they would still cover you what he what barack obama meant if he knew what he was talking about is in the individual market where individuals go out and buy their own health insurance um it, it, Oftentimes, the insurance company would not accept you if you came with a major pre-existing condition. And that was because they didn't want people waiting until the last minute. I now have cancer, and now I'm going to go try to buy insurance to cover that. And so liberals habitually called this a market failure. They said the market is not working here, when in fact, with regards to insurance, it actually was working. You can't go and... (laughs) You can't wait till your house burns down and then go buy a homeowner's policy for the house that is already burned down. That's exactly so right. It it was an attempt. To, they want us anything that doesn't work like they wanted it to do. They said the market is failing
0: here. That's exactly right. Markets don't always deliver the results we want or the results we prefer. Um, and of course, markets can't be perfect because nothing's perfect. I mean, we have to remind ourselves every once in a while that we live in an imperfect world full of imperfect people. So why would we expect a market in which imperfect people are participating in to deliver anything like perfect results? But it's important to understand that not only do markets not always deliver the results we want or prefer, sometimes markets deliver products or services that we don't like, or maybe even products or services that we object to. It's even possible sometimes that the market literally is wrong at some point, at some slice in time. But of course, sometimes we're wrong. And I'm reminded at this point about one of my favorite examples of this, which is the company today that seems to rule the universe, Apple Computer. Well, there was a time when Apple Computer came out with the first portable tablet. It was called the Newton. And it was ahead of its time, And it was a miserable failure. No one saw the point of it. It was a failed product. In retrospect, it seems to have been an inspired product that was ahead of its time, but at the time it was a completely failed product. Nobody wanted it. Nobody saw the point of it, but then you fast forward a few years and Apple comes out with something called an iPod. And when I saw the iPod, I thought, oh, this is just another Newton. This is another device. Nobody wants that Nobody needs. Who on earth, I thought, needs to walk around with all 22,000 of their songs in their pocket with them at all time and their entire photo library? Nobody needs that. And who wants to listen to music over those tiny little squeaky earbuds? I mean, I looked at that product and I said, this is a product that won't succeed. Of course it did. So there's at least two examples where an innovative company like Apple, in one example, came out with a product that was a complete failure. And in the second example, came out with a product that changed the world. So Apple was wrong about the Newton, but Tom was wrong about the iPod. And then there was another one that I was wrong about. When I, When
1: iPhones, I think, was the first one with cameras built into the phone, mm. when they start putting the cameras in the phone, I thought, why in the world would you do that? <laughs> You can get, you can have a camera. Yeah. Why would you want to put a camera in a phone? <laughs> Turns out I was wrong about that. Uh, that sort of, uh, that pushed, I think in many ways, uh, the the, uh, the social media that where people started sharing pictures and things mm. on Twitter and Facebook and other things and really jumped that up in ways that I would not have thought would have been the case.
0: So markets don't always deliver the results we want or prefer. Sometimes markets do deliver products and services that we may personally not want or not like, or maybe even object to. And there's another interesting point here too, which is markets don't always deliver the best result at any given point in time. They change over time. They adapt, they respond. A market is a mechanism essentially for responding to signals sent by consumers. It's sort of a discussion between companies that are providing goods and services and consumers who are responding to those goods and services. So at any given time, uh, a market might not be making sense. At any given time, we might look at a market and say, boy, this is not right. But just because a market is not behaving like we expect it to or like we think it should at some point in time, that doesn't mean that the concept of free markets is somehow flawed or problematic.
1: It seems to me that this is a real ideological shift that's going on right now, because much of what's happening in the uh, the Democrats' latest spending bills, uh, especially the infrastructure bill, is the notion that the market has failed. The market hasn't provided the bridges that we should. It hasn't provided mm-hmm. the internet access that we should. The broadband access that we should. Uh, that it should. And so the government's going to have to come in. And do all these things because the market simply hasn't provided it for others, and so this becomes this classic issue of which is best to guide the country: markets or the government that has fa- that believes the market has failed to provide products for the country.
0: And hopefully, by the end of this policy basics podcast, everyone listening will know what we think the answer to that question is. You know, you used a phrase earlier: market failure, and this is commonly people will accuse markets of failing again. When a market is not delivering the result that they expect or that they want, just because you're not getting your preferences or just because you're not getting your way in a given market, doesn't mean that free markets are a bad idea. I think another really interesting example here, this idea that we may not like the result that a market is delivering, or we may actually object to what a market is delivering is the current furor over social media uh, conservatives are mad at Twitter and Facebook. They don't like the result that's being delivered in the marketplace. Uh, a lot of liberals are mad at Twitter and Facebook for other reasons, just because they think they're just, they're too big and they're too powerful. Uh, conservatives are convinced that social media is in the pockets of, of progressives and progressives in, in, in the case of Facebook, at least is convinced that Facebook is in the pocket of conservatives. So people look at this and they say, I don't like this result. I don't like the way this is going. This must be wrong. Something must be done about it. But if we look at it from a free market standpoint, holy cow, these companies have become enormously successful by delivering a service that consumers clearly love, given the millions and hundreds of millions of consumers that have adopted these products. And they do it for free. Now, We should probably put free in air quotes because nothing's really free. I mean, you are actually doing something in exchange for that free service. You're allowing them access to some of your data and some of your information. But the social good that has been delivered in the marketplace by social media is so significant, and it doesn't even cost anyone a monthly subscription. So that, I think, is a good example of a market that at this point in time, a lot of people are not happy with, but a market that is clearly working. It's those, those companies are clearly delivering services that consumers want and eagerly embrace and would find it hard at this point to do without.
1: Speaking of the notion of markets that people are not happy with, I'll th- toss in another one, and that is the market for illegal drugs. Mm. So you have those coming into the country, they're flooding in, Ah, uh, people complain about that. I'm not a big fan of it either. On the other hand, the reason they exist is because there is a big demand for them among various people, and not just low-income people. High-income people buy some of these things as well. Mm-hmm. So there is a market that exists for that. Uh, and some of us don't like the market because of what it does to people who get hooked on these things, and the notion that you have to society then has to step in many cases and provide services to try to help them break off from that. But you do have a market that exists out there that's all under the table. It's illegal for the most part. And one of the things we're seeing right now is an attempt by states and to some extent the federal government to try to legalize Mm -hmm. some things, especially marijuana.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an example of an existing market that's an underground market. And more and more people are of the opinion that actually making it a legal, legit market would actually be better and right. cause less violence and less crime and, and all of that.
1: But to the extent that we've tried to stop that over the years, we haven't been successful. Today. Right, right. <laughs> but we, we don't have a great area of success there.
0: That's right. On the other
1: hand, I think those of us who said this creates a lot of problems for society and individuals
0: are also right about that. So we've made this point now several times so far that markets are not always right. They're not perfect. They're just better than the alternative. So why don't we talk about for a minute about what those alternatives are. And uh, I mean, if you go back, far enough back in history to where, to before you had markets and capitalism, uh, the way you improved your lot in life, if you wanted to expand your life, if you wanted to gain wealth or whatever, basically the way you did that before markets was by pillaging, robbing, looting, raping, invading other countries. Think about the Vikings going on these periodic raids where they, you know, looted and took everything. Uh, It used to be that if I wanted to really improve my station in life the way that I would do that, is that I would invade my neighbor's property, kill him, take his wife, take his children, take all of his possessions. Uh, Obviously, that's not a great alternative. There are some more modern alternatives to markets, of course. Uh, An obvious candidate is communism. Communism was a strong philosophical competitor for a market-based economy, and we've seen how that worked out. And the answer, of course, is that it didn't work out.
1: But, But you put it in the past tense.
0: Yes. It's, it's coming back. Well, you know, we, my next point is going to be socialism. And we might argue that socialism is coming back more than communism. But I do think it's worth pointing out that even China eventually gave up on communism. Now, they're still a totalitarian, authoritarian country. The party is still in charge of everything. But China reformed their economy. They allowed for capitalism to take place. They allowed for the private ownership of property and shareholders and investing and all of that. And that's when China's economy exploded and when billions of Chinese over just a period of a couple of decades were lifted out of poverty. So the communism experiment has been run, and I think anyone who denies uh, the result of that experiment, namely that communism cannot hold a candle to a market economy, is kidding themselves. But socialism, I think, is in fact much more of a threat. Uh, it seems that, uh, sh- shocking to many of us, socialism, at least among younger generations, is achieving a higher level of popularity. They think that socialism is actually the solution to a lot of the problems that are caused by capitalism and by free markets. But I do think it's important to point out that even most countries who were tried to be governed under socialism ended up giving it up or largely giving it up. I mean, Great Britain in the UK was an overtly socialist economy, uh, for several decades and finally gave it up. Um, there are still countries that try to maintain it. They're at the bottom of the economic ladder. They're not competitive. Their economies do not create jobs and opportunity. They don't create huge amounts of products for export. So I think that the socialism alternative to free markets has also been found wanting. Now, what's really relevant for us to talk about as an alternative to markets is the idea of an economy that is directed from the top down by government. And we run into this all the time even here in the United States, where you have this idea that some bureaucracy knows how to run a market better than just allowing the market to deliver whatever results it delivers. And so you have in the communications realm, in the housing realm, in the mortgage market, in college savings and college tuition, in so many of these major market areas. I'll
1: add the energy market.
0: The energy market, absolutely. I mean, in so many areas, there's attempts by the federal government to control or regulate or determine outcomes from the top down. Now, I want to make a point that these policy basics podcasts have, to some degree, sort of had the effect of building upon each other. We've already done an episode on the knowledge problem. We've done an episode called No One Knows How to Make a Pencil. We've done an episode on price controls. We've done an episode that talks about how consumer welfare should always come first. These are all deeper dives into many of the reasons why top down, government directed economic activity doesn't work, or at least does not deliver as good a result as the market. And I think a lot of times the reason we get these attempts by government to determine economic outcomes is something we talked about earlier, which is people don't always like the results that a market delivers. And so very often when you have the market delivering a result that someone doesn't like, uh, their solution to that, their way to get their preference is to have the government step in and try to direct things and try to control things
1: probably the most notable example right now is the minimum wage Mm. you've got a lot of people mostly on the left who feel like the market isn't delivering the kind of income that it should and so they want to step in and force the market that is businesses to pay more even if somebody doesn't bring that much value to the uh, to the job so people who are just starting out in the workplace, interns, um, young people who are just beginning to uh, to sort of learn how to do things, all of these, the minimum wage debate is meant to say the market isn't delivering them a living wage, even though many of them are not living on their own; they're living with their parents or something of that nature, and so they want to try to correct it across the board, and not just for not just for say high income states where you uh, where a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage might be understandable, but uh, across the board, so that even the lowest-income areas have to pay the same wage as the highest income, and that's, that's an effort of the government to step in, and it gets not just uh, uh, not just Democratic, but some Repo- Republican support as well.
0: That's a great example, and, and you're right. Allowing markets to set wages, you would expect that in, in higher cost-of-living areas, wages would be higher, and in lower cost-of-living areas, wages would be lower they would be determined by markets. And, I mean, we see this in other aspects. Um, People tend to earn more money in San Francisco and in Washington, D.C. and in Boston than they do in other parts of the country because you have to. And because price, you, you can't afford to live there if you don't because of the other cost of living And aspects.
1: prices are commensurate. That's Housing exactly is right. much more expensive, and other things are much more expensive. And it's a, it's a, it's a good question as to which comes first, mm. but they're both there, the high cost and the uh, high cost of living and the higher wages.
0: I think that's a great example. However, I think I have a better one. I think I have a, a really interesting, very recent example of the contrast between letting markets do things and a government top-down directed approach. We are recording this podcast in April of 2021. Uh, We are all hoping and praying that we are coming toward the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. But early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, there were two necessities for dealing with the pandemic. One was a way to test and find out whether you had the virus or whether you had antibodies. Antibodies. And the second thing that was needed was a vaccine. Now, even though the federal government and the Trump administration tries to take a great deal of credit for the vaccine development uh, under something called Project Warp Speed, essentially what the federal government did was turn to the market. They turned to private companies and they said, we need you to prioritize developing a vaccine. And if there's any way we can help, we will. We will guarantee purchase orders. Uh, There are some companies that, I think Pfizer took government-guaranteed purchase orders but did not take any federal money for research. There were some other companies that did take federal money for research, but the government didn't try to run it. The government turned to the market, it turned to the private sector. And so what happened? In record-breaking time, we ended up with not one, not two, not three, but even more vaccines that are extremely effective because the market delivered. It wasn't run by the government. Now, on the other hand, the CDC decided that it would control the development of tests. And if you will recall, the CDC initially would not allow private companies to sell and market tests. They banned them from doing so. They insisted on being the only one to develop a test, and they botched it. They sent out a bunch of tests to hospitals and places like that, and they didn't work. They were defective. And one of the reasons we lost so many people in this country to COVID-19 is the severe delays that were imposed by the fact that the federal government did not allow the market to innovate and develop tests for COVID-19. They kept that all to themselves, and that was the major part of the response to COVID-19 that was botched. So we have had a pretty recent glaring example of the contrast between the superiority of markets in solving a problem and delivering a product and a service compared to the government trying to do it from the top down. I also want to point out as an aside that throughout this entire podcast, you notice we've been talking about markets, not business. Uh, it's a very important concept for those of us who are proponents of free markets that we are pro market, not pro business. Uh, just because something is good for business doesn't necessarily mean it's good for markets. In fact, many times a large, powerful business will do everything that it can to defeat a market. There's a famous quote from Adam Smith, and I won't get it right, but Adam Smith, the the, the proponent of free markets and trade, also said that something like this, that almost never will two or three businessmen in the same industry get together for lunch, but that they don't start immediately colluding on prices. So even Adam Smith understood that businesses misbehave, businesses collude, businesses will try to advantage themselves at the expense of others. So for us who are proponents of free markets and conservatives, this is an important distinction to always have in your mind that we're pro-markets, not pro-business. So in conclusion, markets are not always right. They're not always perfect. It's just that they do a far better job of providing abundant goods and services at accessible prices to consumers and elevate the good of the consumer at the same time. Markets do a better job of all of that than do the alternatives. So don't expect perfection from the market, but certainly don't expect that somehow you would get better results from top-down government-directed activity than you do from markets. You can find more about free market principles at our website, at ipi.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about sharing it with your friends? And please consider giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time.